from the capital of the Commonwealth. This is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. I really do love the style of Kevin Winter, who we've had on this show before, who did the ESPN Sports Center update there. And this Michigan story with more layers than an onion, and each one keeps being peeled layer by layer. And that is what's happening in this Michigan story. And it is, predictably, it's gone the way we were talking about in the 4 o'clock hour. The Big Ten, under a lot of pressure, by the way, to do something, right? All the other schools that weren't implicated in the Big Ten, really pressuring Tony Petiti to do something, to hand down some sort of disciplinary action, some kind of suspension as quickly as possible. A little bit of self-servingness there from the other schools in the Big Ten, of course, uh, but he did. And then, you know, Michigan, predictably, we're going to fight for an injunction so that this doesn't take place. And you've broken all these rules because you've handed down a sanction without the full due process of law. I, I would think the conference feels like it did the due process of law. So there you go. There's all the layers in this thing. Um, I would be shocked if Jim Harbaugh is not on the sideline tomorrow. I got to believe they will have a court injunction against this suspension before that noon kickoff tomorrow in Happy Valley, and he will be on the sideline tomorrow. Now, whether he's there for the last two games or not, and they have to do, and maybe the first game of next year, something like that, that still to be determined. I do agree with the Big Ten that they have handed down a punishment, a suspension that impacts Michigan football and the University of Michigan but doesn't penalize their players necessarily in this case. Um, that they still get to play the games. They still have everything out in front of them. No, they wouldn't have their head coach on the sideline, but they would have him all week. Um, and they still have every opportunity to win a national championship. So I, from that standpoint, like I said earlier, I kind of think the penalty fits the crime here. And they've gotten rid of the guy who egregiously and blatantly broke the rules. And, again, I, I don't want to keep beating this you know, to, to a pulp here, but that's the difference in this game. Great article, by the way, John O'Connor wrote in the Times-Dispatch, and, and he used the guy who is the quote-unquote dean of coaches in the Commonwealth at the, at the Division One level, and that's Danny Rocco, who's, who's now at VMI and has had a very competitive season there. And he, like just about every other coach that I've heard or talked to, has said, Look, sign stealing goes on every week in college football. It is a part of the game. The NCAA has no guideline or mandates about it. You wouldn't be able to police it even if you wanted to. But you can police and you can have guidelines to the extent of what Michigan did. And the guy and whoever was in it with him broke the two you know, primary tenets of the whole thing. As an employee of a college and a college football program, don't go to other games. Don't advance scout. You know, don't go buy a ticket. Don't ask for a press pass. Don't represent your school at another game. And don't use video surveillance equipment to try and decipher and decode other team signs. Those you can prove pretty easily. And I do think that has been proven in this case. They've gotten rid of him, so that was step one. And then step two was some sort of sanction against Michigan. And this seems, 
you know, fair, not to Jim Harbaugh. I'm sure he's spitting bullets about this. But I think it, it's fairly penalty fits the crime, and it happened quickly. I don't know what will happen. I, I think there will be a, a sanction, an injunction. I don't think he's not coaching. There's a double negative for you. He'll be on the sideline tomorrow, in my opinion, when Michigan plays at Penn State. Down the road, um, who knows? All right, and uh, while Kevin there mentioned, and he's a big NBA guy, and he hosts the NBA on radio for ESPN, ESPN Radio, um, I'm not as enamored by the in-season NBA tournament as I am with all the good college basketball that we got tonight for the most part. One game's already underway. Liberty is playing the first of that triple header in that Hall of Fame series down there in Charlotte where the women put on quite a show yesterday, particularly the Iowa-Virginia Tech game with, with Caitlin Clark and Georgia Amore. Um you know, really lighten the place up last night. Uh, we'll see if the men can duplicate that today. Uh, Liberty is up on Charlotte 25-17 with about five minutes to go in the first half of that game. And then, as we said, the two Virginia teams will follow. Uh, Virginia plays Florida. That's the 7 o'clock game down there at the Spectrum Center in Charlotte. And then Virginia Tech plays South Carolina in the wrap-up at 9.30. So uh, that's a great triple header. Richmond was involved in that triple header uh, last year, played down there in in the uh, in the triple header at Charlotte. I, you know, as great as that was, I and and Virginia Tech was in that one. In fact, that was uh, the game that they played St. Bonaventure and blew them out in, in that one. So um, and then East Carolina was in that one down there last year as well. But uh, as good as that was, and that was really fun to be there for that, uh, they've they've stepped up their game with kind of the more headliner of teams down here. In fact, Charlotte being kind of the host school actually buried in the first game, in the, in the 430 early game. Not that that's a problem to them by any stretch, or to Liberty, or to our guy Alan York, their play-by-play guy who is there today, and then he'll be doing uh, Liberty's football game against Old Dominion tomorrow in in lynchburg uh liberty up 25 19 with about four minutes to go in the first half but you gotta like virginia against florida and then virginia tech against south carolina that's pretty good tv viewing or even better if you're in the area go buy a ticket and go see those games tonight for second game of the year that that's pretty good uh they you know all had kind of cakewalks walkovers lesser opponents in game one and now they're stepping it up here in game two both those games by the way on the acc network tonight virginia florida at seven virginia tech south carolina at 9 30 uh vcu is in action tonight we'll see if they can bounce back from the monday game against mcneese state they've got samford samford lost its first game of the year vcu lost its first samford pretty decent team from last year it was a 20 win uh, team last season but i'm not sure that i would want to be one of these teams coming in to play vcu tonight after what happened to the rams in the first game i, I think the uh deck is stacked against samford here and i'm trying to give them credit i, I really am because you love the mid-majors uh, vcu is a four and a half point favorite i think i would i, I think i have enough confidence in ryan odom and those guys i would give up the points and take vcu tonight so I'll probably peek in on that game as well. That's 7 o'clock tonight at the Siegel Center on ESPN+. Plus. It's also on Masson uh, this evening as well if you want to check that one out. And then the other really great matchup tonight is Arizona and Duke. At, and I know it's a home game for Duke. They're not going on the road. I assume in a matchup like this next year, uh, Duke would have to go on the road but the game is at cameron tonight it's at seven it's on espn too but that's probably on a long long list of friday night games that 
probably is the best one. Uh, two teams in, in just outside the top 10, I guess top 12 in the country. And then if you're looking for some under-the-radar games tonight, uh, I would put Charleston at Duquesne as one of those, matching up uh, Charleston out of the CAA and Duquesne out of the Atlantic 10. Uh, that game is being played at Navy at Alumni Hall. Of course, it's uh, Veterans Day weekend with tomorrow being Veterans Day, and it's the Veterans Classic up there in Annapolis. And that would be that one will be worth tuning into as well. It's on CBS Sports Network right after we get off the air today as well at 6 o'clock. So that's kind of one of the more under-the-radar the games. I'm scrolling really quickly to see if there are a couple others I would throw your way if you're looking for some more college basketball tonight. Uh, if you're an Atlantic 10 fan, which we think a lot of you probably are if you listen to this show and Matt's show and Al's show uh, with Richmond and VCU and, and all the Atlantic 10 action, George Mason is at home tonight against Austin P. a uh, mid-major matchup there. And then Davidson is playing in Asheville, North Carolina at the uh, uh, Asheville Championship, and they get Maryland tonight. Davidson struggled for a while with a D3 team um, in its first game, but did win and will play Maryland tonight, 7 o'clock. That one's on ESPNU. So those are some of them, but again, a long, long list of college basketball tonight, and I think a lot of the reason for that, schools that have football teams that are playing Saturday, a lot of them are playing Friday night basketball so they don't have that conflict on Saturday, whether one's home and one's away or they get both of them at home. And Richmond's playing a doubleheader tomorrow. The Spiders elected to keep their basketball game tomorrow night, uh, pushed it back a little bit to 8 o'clock against Siena, airtime 7.30 here on 106.1 ESPN. Football at 2 o'clock against Elon in a monumental battle for first place in the CAA, two of the five teams teams at five and one uh, two o'clock game 130 airtime here on 1061 ESPN um, and there's plenty going on out there at Robinson there are still tickets available if you want to get out there and see it it's senior day for the spiders they'll honor their their senior class which is always a little bit of a murky gray area because you'll get those fourth fifth-year seniors, in this case some sixth-year guys who you know are done, but the guys in their fourth year and probably in their fifth year because they still have the COVID year, I think this will be the last uh, round of that, uh, could walk pregame and you know be recognized as a senior and yet still come back next year. There will be several of those, in fact, that that will happen. But anyway, pregame ceremony for the senior class for Richmond. The 1998 Atlantic 10 championship team is being honored. That's football. That's back when the Atlantic 10 sponsored football before it moved to the CAA. It's the 25th year anniversary of that crew that's back. Jim Reed, the head coach of that team, is expected back for that uh, ceremony and get-together both tonight and tomorrow as well uh, and a lot of those players will be back they'll be honored at halftime tomorrow and then the game itself uh, should attract a, an audience with two five and one conference opponents going at it two teams that are playing really well right now elon coming off uh, victory at delaware which was the only remaining unbeaten conference team until last week and then richmond has uh, found its way and has won four in a row and six out of seven and needs wins tomorrow and then next week against its arch rival william and mary and a probable playoff berth if you win both of those games and you got a share of the CAA title. And, you know, they would have won six in a row at that point. And what, eight out of nine, something like that. Um, 
you know, they would they would be a playoff team at that point. So a lot at stake tomorrow afternoon in that one for Richmond. But again, my my point being, you know, a lot of lot of teams that have football programs as well playing today on Friday. Not all of them, obviously, as I mentioned with Richmond, uh, Old Dominion uh, basketballs on the road at Ball State tomorrow afternoon as well so there's a long list of basketball for saturday as well but but most of the marquee games are tonight so if you're looking for something to watch uh surf surf around you'll find some good college hoops this evening all right we want you to stay locked in right where you are here at 1061 espn because we've got this coming up in the remaining 45 minutes of the feel good friday as lewis likes to call it edition of the sports huddle these are this afternoon's top sports stories. I'm sure you'll be fascinated by all the uh, stories you have to tell. This is today's Drive Home Headlines. Brought to you by James River Air. If you're not happy with your heating and cooling systems, give James River Air a call for a free in-home consultation. Or for more information, check them out online at jamesriverair. One of the amazing games that I watched last night, and maybe you did as well, was James Madison's basketball double overtime victory at Kent State and how it happened. Down five with, what, 3.8 seconds to go in regulation. They get a three-pointer, an offensive foul call on the inbounds pass, and a layup at the buzzer to tie it, send it to overtime. Uh, they had it won in overtime at a costly turnover, resulted in a three-point bucket for Kent State to send it to a second overtime, and Madison wound up winning it in the second overtime despite being depleted with three starters having fouled out by the time they got to minutes 46 through 50 of that game. And then all they had to face was a six-hour bus ride coming back from Kent to uh, – to Harrisonburg but what a week for James Madison basketball and with that in mind the voice of the Dukes Dave Rigard is going to join us at the bottom of the hour he was on that bus didn't get home to like six six in the morning or so and he's back up and at it of course he's got football tomorrow and then basketball again on Sunday but when you're winning games and playing great games like that your adrenaline will carry you through the one thing I didn't excuse me ask Dave to do in this case, a little inside radio. You know, I love to open these segments with a play-by-play call or two, and I'm sure he had another fabulous call last night. We ran his call at the end of the Michigan State game from Monday on Tuesday afternoon, but I wasn't about to ask him to start clipping it, cutting it up, getting it together. I don't know, maybe he already had it, but I felt like I was pushing the envelope enough to bring him on the air today when he's probably trying to catch his breath. So I didn't ask him for the play-by-play call, but I'm sure he can recount it for us when he joins us at 5.30 this afternoon. You heard the news about Michigan and the uh, suspension, three-game suspension of Jim Harbaugh. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition or not. And then all the college basketball we got coming up tonight. UVA football, heartbreaking loss to Louisville last night. Harris Jones appears to be doing better. Uh, movement of all his extremities after taking off on a stretcher, after absorbing you know that tumultuous hit in the second half of that game against Louisville uh, last night. So that's good news there for sure. All right, break time at 5.15, 5.16 or so, 804-327-0888. If you want to interact with the show, that's also our text line, 327-0888. Back after the timeout, 1061 ESPN. Welcome back. About 521 
on the uh, Sports Huddle on a Friday afternoon, getting up to 6 o'clock, and then we will get into the weekend. Busy one for me tomorrow. I'm looking forward to a doubleheader action with the Spiders. I got TV calls on both football and basketball here on the radio side. Football will be handled by Matt Smith tomorrow, doing some play-by-play for us. Robert Fish with a conflict. He's out for football. Be back for basketball. And Jasmine Coleman coming back to the home broadcast booth, the Ray Tate radio booth at Robin Stadium tomorrow afternoon. His third appearance with us this year. Our former colleague on Spider Broadcast, of course, played football for the Spiders back in the mid to late 90s. And he's coming back again tomorrow to handle the analyst work with Matt Smith on the play-by-play. I'll be on television with Chris Anderson and Lane Casadante down there on the sideline. And then at night, we've got uh, on the radio, Robert Fish and Matt for basketball against Siena, 7.30 airtime. And I'll be on the ESPN Plus call for Spider uh, basketball tomorrow night against Siena at 8 o'clock. Um, really looking forward to it. Actually, I'm glad both games are at home. Get the opportunity to do both of them. Excited for both of them. Obviously, the Spider football game has a significant amount of importance to that game. I think they're raring and ready to go coming off of that bye week. Uh, certainly should help them just the way it helped Elon coming off its bye week and beat Delaware uh, last week. And then excited to see what's next for Spider basketball. A lot of people talking about Jordan King and why not? And that 35 or 34 point performance. I was thinking 35 because Jason Vita, the Spider's great PR guy, um, unearthed the last time a player had that many points or more in a season opening game for Richmond was John Newman, who went on to become the school's all-time leading scorer. It was his sophomore year, 83-84, and he poured in 35 against George Mason. They weren't in the same conference back then. Ironically, that game was actually played at Old University Hall in Charlottesville. They were in a early season four-team tournament there. If memory serves me correctly, it was Richmond Mason, Lafayette, and UVA, and Richmond went to University Hall to play two games and never got a shot at playing UVA because the Spiders lost to George Mason and played Lafayette in the consolation game there at, at U Hall. So I had done games at old University Hall, but not against the University of Virginia. And, of course, that 83-84 season turned out okay. For Richmond, it turned out to be their first ever NCAA appearance, and they beat Charles Barkley and Auburn. Uh, in the field of 64, probably wasn't even 64 back then, was it? They had won a, like a play-in game before that, beating Ryder up at the Palestra in Philadelphia. That was a thrill. That was my first year, by the way. And then beat Auburn in what turned out to be Charles Barkley's last collegiate game. Spiders knocked them off down there um, at the old Charlotte Coliseum down there in the Queen City. And then lost to, to Indiana, to the late Bob Knight and the Indiana Hoosiers. Of course, the Spiders would get their measure of revenge several years later when they knocked off Indiana on the way to the uh, Sweet 16 in 1988. So a little history lesson there for you. Don't know how I got off on that path, but I did. There's no reason to go back in history with what we've got going on in real time right now, and no more so than in college basketball. And as I mentioned, that great triple header that's um, that's ongoing uh, tonight at, at Charlotte, and I'm going to check that score for you. You know, I love to give you those baseball scores, the daytime baseball scores in, in um, during the summer months. Well, equally like to give college basketball scores when they're playing games during the day. Liberty is up uh, 35-23 
at halftime on Charlotte in the first game of that triple header. Virginia, Florida follows, and then Virginia Tech, South Carolina wraps it up. And I just happened to scroll down a little bit, and this is one of my, my great pet peeves, and I just don't like it. So McNeese State, which beat VCU in the first game on Monday at the Siegel Center, is now playing, get this one, folks, the College of Biblical Studies Ambassadors. Yeah, the College of Biblical Studies Ambassadors. All due respect to them and the kids that are playing basketball there, but I'm going to die on the hill on this one. They should not be playing these games, not as regular season games, and and we've seen a lot of them all over the place. And look, I almost gave one of them a flyer on this, which was uh, VMI, which played, I think, Christendom yesterday and and beat them badly to get a win. They got a young team. They're lower-level Division One. I get all of that, and I certainly understand how hard scheduling is now for these teams, and you do want to get some wins. So maybe there are a few schools. I guess there's an exception to every rule, and maybe VMI is my exception there that, you know, they just couldn't find a low-level D1 to compete against and maybe get a win against. But for the most part, I'm, I'm scrolling through games last night, and it just annoys me, the number of Division One teams that are playing non-Division One. And some of these aren't even – they're not Division II. Um, they're not Division Three. They're NAIA. They're D2 NAIA. Um, I just wish there was a better way. It's, I actually don't think it's fair to the fans. I really don't. Uh, it, you know, they're paying money still for the tickets to those games. Unless you're making those games free, even then I still don't like them. So VMI played Christendom, won 87 to 53. Let me throw a few more out at you here. Uh, just from last night, Purdue-Fort Wayne played Andrews University. Wagner played Malloy. North Carolina Central played Virginia Lynchburg. Hampton played Mid-Atlantic Christian. Presbyterian over Columbia International. Uh, Norfolk State and Apprentice School. I just wish there was a way. Just play the lower-level D1 teams. If, if you could find them. I get some of these teams are lower-level D1 teams. Baylor played John Brown. I hope they had four other guys on the court with John. Probably not because Baylor beat him by 26. Again, I'm getting a little silly here just because it's just one of my least favorite things, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad with the one extenuating circumstance of the COVID year when Richmond did it as a regular season game just to get back into the flow of thing after being off for three weeks. I get that, exception to the rule. Uh, I'm glad my school doesn't do it. VCU doesn't do it either. I'm really glad about that, that they're playing all Division One games. That's, that's the way it should be. All right, uh, a team that has certainly had, hit Division One teams head-on and has come away with two wins over nationally ranked Michigan State and over Kent State, both on the road, the James Madison Dukes. Kudos to Mark Byington and what they scheduled and what they've done. We're going to talk about this week in JMU basketball, primarily with the voice of the Dukes, Dave Riggert. He joins us next on the Sports Huddle. 
of the sports. How to welcome back Bob Black with you on a Friday afternoon just past 530. Uh, we welcome Dave Rigert, the play-by-play voice of the JMU Dukes. And Dave, a little inside radio with my audience earlier and mentioning that you were coming on. And normally when we have play-by-play guys on, or even anybody from the team, love to come up with a play-by-play clip to play to lead into the segment. I felt bad enough about asking you to be on at all after what you've been through and the bus ride you just got off of that I wasn't about to ask you for a play-by-play clip of last night's game. I'm sure you'll do a good enough job recounting what happened this time around without it. So thanks for being on, and have you caught up on any of your rest yet? I have not, no. <laughs> We're trying to get ready for now for a football game yes. tomorrow, but you, yeah. you know how that goes. It's a crossover season now for us in, in this industry, so... It is a challenge at times, but uh, we signed up for it. We knew what we were getting into. And, and you can ask me for a clip at any time. I'd be happy to get you whatever <laughs> you need. But I'm excited to get on and talk to you, Bob. All right. Well, let's get to it then. Describe the last just 3.8 seconds, Dave, of regulation. This looks like a Kent State win, and they extend their home court winning streak. And, hey, valiant effort by those Dukes who got their win on Monday, and they'll go back one and one and feeling good about themselves. And this JMU team wasn't about to let that happen, was it? No, it was unbelievable. I'm not sure I've seen anything like it. Um, Obviously, you see some wild games, but yeah, the last 3.8, JMU had a chance to tie. They, they missed. They airballed a shot. They were down three. And then with 3.8, they, they had to foul. And then um, Kent State made two free throws. So with 3.8, neither team had timeouts left. You're thinking, and I even put out my call um, on social media earlier. And in the call, I'm just like, well, looks like the Dukes are going to come up short, need a miracle right now. And then all of a sudden, there's a baseball pass down the floor. Noah Friedel, who's a very good three-point shooter, makes a good catch. And they, they, they defended it, but not real, real tightly. Again, they're up five with 3.8. And he buries the three. The clock rolls and goes down to zero. But immediately, again, you can see the clock on top of the, the scoreboard or on top of the, on top of the basket. And you could tell that there was a, quite a bit of time left. And I thought there was probably at least a second left. Noah was yelling, hey, there's time left, there's time left. Um, and they put 1.2 on the clock. So, again, still you need a miracle. You have no timeouts. 1.2 left, you're down two, they've got the basketball. You know, if they can inbound it and, and make some free throws, even if they, they don't, um, you have to heave it the length of the floor because you can't advance the basketball. But um, they brought in a seldom-used guard that had played probably five minutes the entire game, and there was some contact trying to get open. And, and Xavier Brown from, from Williamsburg, um, <laughs> he sold it pretty well, but there was also contact, and they called an offensive foul. Now, when you sell that, you normally don't get the call. But he got the call with 1.2. So, again, they don't have a timeout left. They, they get the break. They get the call. So they end up underneath their own basket. And you run uh, a, a pick-the-picker play that everybody runs in college, in, in any type of basketball, on an, out, on an underneath out of bounds. And it worked to perfection. Noah Friedel, who made the three, was wide open for a layup. And he ties the game. The, the buzzer sounds. And we're going to overtime. And then... And the crazy thing with this game is JMU made a three-point shot. Raekwon Horton did. The transfer from Charleston made a three-point shot to make it a six-point lead for JMU with 53 seconds left in the second overtime. They're up five with 12 seconds left, and then they blow the five-point lead with (laughs) 12.7 seconds left to send it to double overtime, doing this without three of their starters because they're fouled out of the game. And once that happened, you're thinking you're going to double overtime, and there's no way they can survive this. And then they had a, a true freshman in Jalen Carey a step up and play well. Xavier Brown, who I talked about, he was one off a career high. So it was just an un, un, 
unforgettable 45 minutes of real time probably to close out that basketball game. And, Dave, it's had been an unforgettable four days of college basketball for the Dukes, right? I mean, to go from what you did Monday and be right back on the road and do what you did on Thursday, I, I mean, that's that's a high that maybe these guys aren't going to come down from for a while, and they, they deserve an opportunity to, to kind of understand and embrace what they did in the first two games of the season. I know you got a third one coming on Sunday, but I hope they do get the opportunity to embrace it a, a little bit. Yeah, I think they will. I think they understand. And I'm not sure people understand how good Kent State is. They were 28-7 mm-hmm. yep. a year ago. They won the MAC, and, and they got beat by Indiana by 11 in the NCAA tournament. So this was a tournament team that had the second longest home court winning streak in the nation next to UCLA. They had won 23 consecutive games inside that building that, that Jamie just won in. So, again, as, as hard as Monday was to play the fourth-ranked team in the country and, and get that win, I think last night might have been even harder just because of that win. The target was on their back. They were, they were again, now Kent State wanted to knock off the team that beat Michigan State. And, again, mm-hmm. they had won 23 consecutive games in that building. So it's a really good basketball team. It's a smaller venue, so it gets really loud, as you well know, seeing some of those buildings. And I think that was a really impressive win. When you look at both those wins down the stretch, those will be teams that will be competing for conference championships that probably have pretty high RPIs. So those are going to be huge wins, especially on the road. They're the first team in 30 years to win back-to-back season-opening games in overtime on the road. So it's been a long time since that's been done. Uh, it was great. I mean, I told my audience earlier, you know, I was watching the Virginia-Louisville football game, and that was a, a really good game, but I'm yeah, looking at my phone. Right, I'm looking at my phone, I'm seeing your score, and I'm like, you know what? That sounds kind of intriguing. Let me flip <laughs> to that and, and saw the end of regulation and the two overtimes, and, and it was amazing. Look, all due credit and props to the players. They had to get it done. And you mentioned this, the plays that they ran at the end, the baseball pass for the three-pointer, the pick for the screener, for the light. They, they had to execute it. But what does this say about what Mark Byington is doing from terms of not only recruiting these players, but the X's and O's and the strategy of putting his guys in those positions to be successful? I've got a good friend that is a, an assistant coach on the K-State women's basketball team in Manhattan, Kansas. And he was texting me after the game after he saw some of what happened, and he goes, yeah, I I don't I didn't see everything, but did they have timeouts left to get the five points in, in, in three point eight seconds? And I said no. And he's just like, that is amazing. That's great coaching, great X's and O's to be able to have your guys execute what you want to do without drying it up in the moment. So and again, at the shoot around earlier that day, they worked on some situational type stuff, and they worked on the baseball pass to try and get a late shot. It, it, again, it was to try and win a game, not to to get it to two points, and then. They work on that out-of-bounds all the time. They thought it would work against Kent State, and again, it works to perfection. But Coach Byington has done a, an incredible job. Again, last year they won 22 games. That's the most that they've won since the 81-82 season when Lefty Drizel was the head coach of the Dukes, and they went to the NCAA tournament. So it's been a long time since they've had success in basketball. As you well know, it, it was a struggle for a while. They, they, they struggled on the basketball floor and for many reasons. Um, but Coach Byington has done a really good job, and he's got a really new team this year. He's got six newcomers, five are transfers. He lost four starters off of last year's team, four seniors that graduated and were were really high individual, high class individuals that were leaders on that team. So he even said to me before the Michigan State game, "I really don't know what I'm going to get from this team." But he's done a great job of kind of meshing them all together, bringing transfers in um, that maybe aren't the highly recruited transfers, but the ones that fit his system and his style. So. He's really done an incredible job. Finally get to play a home game Sunday, huh? <laughs> and the one thing is, Coach, 
Coach B even said this earlier uh, last week, I think it was, this is probably the most challenging stretch of any college basketball team to start the season because you go to number four Michigan State, you play at Kent State, who again had won 23 consecutive games. They both made the NCAA tournament. And then you play a Howard team that also made the big dance a year ago and won their conference and won over 20 games. And they just lost to Georgia Tech by three points last night and were leading by six at halftime in Atlanta. So this is a really good Howard team that has a lot of pieces back from an NCAA tournament team. So three consecutive teams that made the NCAA tournament a year ago to open up the schedule. So it'll be interesting to see. This one could be sloppy on Sunday because I'm sure uh, Howard bust back last night from Atlanta or they're busting back today and then they've got to try and play Sunday. We got back about 6.30 in the morning <laughs> this morning um, from, from the game at Kent State. So, But it's a huge, huge challenge. But I think because of the start, and the attention that, that they are getting right now nationally, um, not only in football, but now in basketball, Jamie's getting so much attention that I think the students are going to sell out the arena. I think it's going to be a, 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 a fantastic atmosphere inside the Atlantic Union Bank Center. I think they're, they're kind of foaming at the mouth to get out and watch this team with, with the first two games being on the road. As, as well they should, and uh, much better playing these challenging games than these teams that are playing Division Three and NAI AI teams. I just railed on that. Yeah, I just railed on that before uh, before we brought yep. you on. I'm, I'm obviously not a fan of that. I don't think that should be happening. JMU is a great case in point of what you can do when you when you challenge yourself and you schedule accordingly. All right, before you get to home basketball on Sunday, you got home football um, tomorrow. Give me a quick synopsis on what to expect from the Dukes in this game against UConn uh, as they look to keep this unbeaten string rolling. And I do think I heard a click. In there, and I'm not sure if maybe we lost, we lost Dave, or maybe he just fell asleep. I mean, he definitely needs to catch up on sleep. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> there back. he is. There you are. Quick, quick cat nap there before you answer that question. Yeah, just uh, had to get one in real quick. <laughs> we're going to let you go anyway after, but just a, a quick synopsis on what you're expecting tomorrow from uh, Dukes on the football field against UConn and, and keeping the unblemished record going. Well, there's a lot of a lot of chatter around JMU. Obviously, they, they put in a waiver this week to try and again become bowl eligible if at all possible. So they're trying every possible scenario to try and try and um, reverse this. And the, and, and the the thing that's different with this is that the Sun Belt is now backing them, and they've sent a letter to the NCAA saying that if if you let JMU become bowl eligible, then they can play in the Sun Belt championship. So they're trying to get this sped up so they could play in a potential championship game here in a couple weeks. But um, they've done a great job of, of kind of. Just, just staying focused on football and not worrying about the outside, just going and playing. And they've really, really done a great job of that. And they, they did lose one of their best players this past week, mm-hmm. Jalen Green, um, the defensive end who leaves the country and, and tackles for loss and sacks towards ACL against Georgia State this past week. So that's a huge loss. I'm sure be, there's some heavy hearts, and it's, it's heartbreaking for that young man being a senior too. Uh, but they'll play, they'll play hard for him. And it's a UConn team that comes in one and eight. They're not great. Mm-hmm. Jim Moore is the head coach of the Huskies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they, they were leading North Carolina State for a while. They were leading Boston College. Um, they've had a pretty challenging schedule. They lost to Utah State by only one game. You lost to, or beat Utah State by just seven. Uh, so I, I think this will be a much more competitive game than what some people think. I, I think this is, this is a team that's trying to rebuild and kind of find themselves. And, this is one of those games probably, too, where you've seen if you can get on them early, then all of a sudden here we go again type of mentality when you're sitting at 1-8. and eight. If they get momentum, though, then they can stay in the game and they've got some athletes that are capable. But, again, Jamie should win it. They're 1-8 and eight and they should move to 10-0 this season. All right. Dave, uh, you sound excited and raring and ready to go, but rest the voice, <laughs> rest the body tonight, and get ready for, for a great weekend. Appreciate you spending some time with us today. 
Bob, always a pleasure. Anytime. Thank you, Dave. Dave Rickert, the play-by-play voice of the James Madison Dukes. Uh, he's running, running on adrenaline right now, and wins always help make the trip shorter and you know make all the effort and the prep time and all of that even a little bit better. So uh, kudos to him. Great job. I, I didn't mention this to him, but you know I was watching the game last night. I think he did it alone last night. And the way I, I kind of know that is I was watching the game at Kent State, like in many places at this point, visiting radio guys are put right next to their bench and mark byington like many college basketball coaches is not sitting on that bench very much it is up and down and i really felt for dave because i've done this a million times with greg beckwith uh when we're next to our bench in a visiting arena and you're you're swaying in each direction just so you can see around your head coach uh when you politely ask him to move he's still not going to move that's his space out there on the sideline so i could see dave at the end of those games just swaying left swaying right to make sure he could make the call uh on the jmu radio network uh so fun stuff for them and for the jmu dukes and they get howard on sunday afternoon their first home game at the uh atlantic union bank center there in harrisonburg let's get our final break in man we've moved along on a friday afternoon it gets us to the weekend we will officially get you there and and wrap it up for a Friday night edition of the Sports Huddle, 1061 ESPN. All right, finishing it up on a uh, Friday afternoon. Bob Black with you here hosting Sports Huddle remotely. Lewis been getting the job done in our ESPN Richmond studios. Um, what you watching this weekend, Lois? You're a sports guy. What uh, we got? We got college football. We got college basketball. Week ten of the NFL. Um, we got uh, Hamden Sydney Randolph Macon. We previewed that yesterday. Got that CIAA championship game um, with Virginia Union uh, involved this weekend. So a lot of good stuff, Lewis. Bob, I'm gonna be checking out the Richmond University uh, football game against Elon for sure, and then you know I'm a, I'm gonna try and check out the basketball game later on that night. I do want to say that I'm very uh, shocked and also very proud of how JMU's been holding it down so far. They they um, have been doing that, no doubt, in every sport, right? Right, stunning a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you're you're buying all in here. You're a station guy, man. I'm in on the spiders. You're saying right? Man. You could try and make the doubleheader on Saturday, huh? Most definitely. Most, most definitely. <laughs> all right. Uh, good stuff. We hope to see you out there. You're you're more than welcome in our booth anytime that you want to come by. Uh, again, football in the afternoon at two o'clock and basketball at 8 o'clock at the Robbins Center. And then, really, some great stuff this weekend. Uh, the college football is really good. I guess, you know, not that it wasn't already the headline game, but Penn State-Michigan, I would think, is the big game of the weekend. Two top ten teams and the whole Jim Harbaugh thing that's swirling around that. Not going to change the players, right, on the field. J.J. McCarthy still going to be a quarterback for Michigan. Um, you know, they're going to have their guys. And, and Penn State at home with just the one loss could really upset the Apple cart with a win that's the noon game on fox you don't have to wait long for that one michigan at penn state um in the acc you got the duke carolina rivalry that's the acc network game on saturday night that game in chapel hill virginia tech is at boston college good opportunity there for the hokies to get a win we've talked about the richmond elon game we mentioned the uh virginia union in the ciaa championship game the game hamden sydney last last game from marty favret the, the longtime head coach retiring at hamden sydney randolph macon already knows it's in the playoffs as a number one regional seed 
but you know they want to win that rivalry game. They've won nine in a row. They don't want to be the team that has that streak snapped. So that's a good one up in Ashland tomorrow afternoon as well. We mentioned the Richmond-Elon game. A couple other top 25 games. you got Utah and Washington. Uh, that game is on Fox at 3.30. The SEC game on um, CBS is Tennessee and Missouri. So that's a good one, too, in, in the SEC at 3.30. So, man, there are good games all over the place. And then, as we said, the college basketball tonight, VCU at home against Samford. They'll tip it off a little bit more than an hour at the Siegel Center. And then you got both Virginia and Virginia Tech in that uh, triple header down there in Charlotte uh, with Virginia playing the 7 o'clock game against Florida and the Hokies the 9.30 game against South Carolina. Liberty is up 16 on Charlotte. That's the first game of that, I guess they call it the Hall of Fame series. Liberty up 56-40 to 40, about halfway through the second half. So pick your pleasure this weekend. Pick your sporting pleasure, and you got an opportunity to enjoy it, whether it's college basketball, college football, uh, the D2, the D3 game, high school football playoffs uh, in our area this weekend as well, and then NFL Week 10 with the Commanders, one of the late games on Sunday, the 4 o'clock game at Seattle, looking to get a win there and potentially get their record back to the 500 mark if they can go on the road again after winning at New England last week and winning at Seattle on Sunday. I don't think it's going to happen, but it will be entertaining to watch a little after 4 o'clock Sunday afternoon nonetheless. All right, we'll wrap all that up when we get back on Monday. Should have our mashup Monday when Matt and I are together in the 4 o'clock hour. He'll have 3 to 4 with Border to Border and then the Sports Huddle at 4 o'clock. Lewis, great job all week long. Uh, keeping me straight and on the straight and narrow and on path throughout the uh, sports huddles all week long. Thanks to Cindy Boren from the Washington Post. Joined us in the 4 o'clock hour. We had some fun NFL conversation with Cindy. And then Dave Rigger just wrapped things up with us talking some JMU, primarily basketball and a little bit.